Sir, should we be worried about the international appeal of the Indy 500 now? Fernando Alonso ain't taking part? Not at all, son. Why, we have great international stars, such as the Italian Marco Andretti. He's from Pennsylvania, sir. Or that other Italian, Alexander Rossi. He's a Californian, sir. Shoot, no, wait, um, what about that guy on pole? Ed Carpenter, sir? Yeah, him. He's from Paris, right? He's from Paris and East Illinois, sir. That's not a foreign country. It is if you're from West Illinois. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. He's Zog. Hello. He's Richard. Hello. And we like driving. We like driving, boys, don't we? We do. But do we also like not driving? We've all had experience of cars with levels of autonomy, whether it's driver alert telling you that you're wandering from your lane or whether it's an adaptive cruise control that stops you from crashing into the car in front or whether it's a car that you can take your hands off the steering wheel and the pedals and let the machine do the driving for you. But Zog, you love cars with autonomy, don't you? Well, I think I've kind of quite mixed feelings about autonomous cars and self-driving technology because, on the one hand, it's amazing technology and I think that's a very sensible way to develop personal transport because when these systems work properly, there's no doubt in my mind that they will be much safer, much more efficient, much better in every way, apart from people having fun, than people at doing the driving. But the problem is the in-between period Mm. and all the in-between stuff between a conscious, skilled driver being 100% in control of a vehicle and a fully mature, properly developed, really good self-driving system being in control of the car. And there's a lot of messy grey area in between, which we're experiencing at the moment. I'm sure a lot of our UK listeners would have read the story of the driver who was charged with dangerous driving recently because they put their Tesla on autopilot on the M1 motorway in England, stood over the passenger seat and let the autopilot do the driving. And they were arrested. And I think they were convicted of dangerous driving, banned for 18 months or something. But then in that particular case... The bloke was being a dick. He was, yeah. Because he knows that he's not supposed to do that because yes. the system is not capable of completely taking control of the car. However, Jacques Tesla as well for calling it autopilot, which mm-hmm. makes it sound, you know, we've all been on an airliner and the captain is wandering around down the aisle to go and use the loo or something because the plane, I know he's got a co-pilot there as well. They don't allow them to both leave the cockpit just because it's belt and braces. But the fact is an autopilot on a plane can fly the plane mm. without any human intervention or even, you know, sort of someone lightly gripping one of the controls to show you there's someone there. And, in fact, I've been on planes where the plane's landed itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they can do that They as can well. do that, yeah, and they can do it better than most pilots. <laughs> yeah. also, yeah. You wouldn't yeah. know, would you? Autopilot works perfectly well in three-dimensional space up in the air because yeah. the chances are you're probably not going to hit another aeroplane coming towards you inches away. Yeah. Whereas here on the road on two-dimensional space, we're... a bit more likely to encounter another 10,000 vehicles. Yeah, the chance of that happening is far greater. I'm not criticising what we call autopilot. I'm not criticising autonomous abilities in cars. You say it's more difficult on the road than in the sky. Yeah, yeah. it absolutely is. Absolutely. Well, this yeah. is why. So the thing is, personally, I think autonomous cars, terrific. For all the people out there who hate driving, for whom it's stressful and it's a chore, mm. and they don't enjoy it at all. It's just a means to get to their place of work, to go and pick their kids up from school, whatever it is they need to do. If the car could do it for them, I'm sure a lot of people would go, yes, please, where do I sign? Particularly if they can spend the 20 minutes or whatever it is they're going to spend reading a book, catching up on some email, yeah. you know, whatever it is. I do like driving, but I don't like certain kinds of driving. I have to get from my place in North London around to West London quite regularly to the Grand Tour office, driving often around London's North Circular Road. It's an awful road. It's an yeah. abysmal way to get around, particularly when it suddenly goes from basically being a motorway to being one lane. Mm. And so, of course, it always bottlenecks back, and there's a lot of queuing, and it's just it's an unpleasant road to drive. Yeah, and people are never nice. It's always one of those things where yeah, everyone's a, a bit sort of aggressive, of, where people it, don't like... Yeah. It's just, we don't zipper, do we, in this country? No, like America, not, not as well as we should, no. no. Mm. And the other morning, I had to get to work, and I didn't have a car. I'd left my car at the office, and it was all just aggro. I need to get a cab. I just got an Uber over there because I was late. And I was like, it takes so long on public transport 
to do that sort of dog leg through the centre of London. I'll get an Uber, it'll be fine. And I got a load of work done in the back of this Prius, driving around the North Circular. And it did make me think. I was like, well, now this is what we have in self-driving cars at the moment. They're not self-driving. There's a bloke doing it and you're paying him. But you're getting some of the sensation because you're going, I'm doing the normal route that I do, but here I am on my laptop doing some work and it's actually quite good. And I felt really productive. I was like, that was not a wasted journey. Stress-free. I've used some time that is usually sucked up with me having to concentrate on operating the car and not dinking into the back of somebody when you're in stop-start traffic. So that would be great. I would welcome that level of autonomy from an everyday car. It just takes you places that you can't be bothered to take yourself. Notwithstanding that you'd also then have to have an old car or something at home when you were going on a nice drive. drive. That's great. But the thing is, we are so far off that kind of autonomy where a car can just take you places that you want to go because you can't be bothered to do the driving. Because... You know, they're testing all of these autonomous cars in places like Phoenix in Arizona, aren't they? And I've been there. That's where my wife's from. The roads are, by and large, on a complete gridiron pattern, yep. and they're all straight. And yep. it's very, very simple in the layout of the city. Although not all of the self-driving trials are in places that are no. quite that, you know... Either, but it's you almost know, the like they need to just get a baseline level of can the car sort of stop and go and turn. And it was where that woman was killed with the bicycle. It was in Arizona, wasn't it? it was, I'm not uh, sure where that happened. But actually, that's interesting, the case where, as you say, the pedestrian with the bicycle was killed. And when you see the video, the in-car video, you sort of think, well, how could any reasonably good system have missed that person? Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't know. But I do know that one of the problems, and this may relate to that particular case, one of the problems that the designers of these systems have in getting the system to assess the world around it and what it needs to pay attention to and what might be a threat or rather, mm. you know, what might be a thing with which you might collide mm. that you therefore want to take care of... One of the more difficult things to deal with is people with bicycles because sometimes they behave like vehicles mm-hmm. right. and sometimes they behave like pedestrians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the systems that are looking at those objects aren't as good as we are well, that's exactly at it. figuring out that it's a person pushing a bike rather than a person this riding is, a bike. This and, is my point. Yeah, the, the, these stuff. systems are incredible and the technology is fascinating and rapidly evolving, but it's simply not as good at nuance as the human eye and the human brain are going, well, now that's a person who's wheeling a bicycle, mm. therefore they're behaving like a pedestrian. Not that we would sort of analyse it to that degree. You just go, well, they're not moving quickly because they're moving at walking speed mm. and, oh, they're coming towards the curb so they might step out. You know, We're able to make these almost unconscious decisions about things based on our sort of prior experience and knowledge. Right, and our shared much more knowledge fuzzy, as well. Yeah, well, Lyft are putting in 30 self-drive BMWs into Las Vegas, I believe, this month. And they are doing that's it... that's just a test whether they can take drunk brummies around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a vital capability of the self-driving car. Where you going? I'm going to Las Vegas. You can do some gambling. Incredibly sunburnt, drunk British people yeah. have just lost all their money. <laughs> and and you, not, you'll be there as well. I'm going to go on one of his well trips be. to Vegas, <laughs> seeking out self-driving taxis. Lyft, or as I prefer to call them, Luft, because that's what it looks like if you read Welsh. The letter Y is pronounced uh, of course. It's just ah. like Luft to me. So Luft are doing this expressly to gather data. What they're doing, Richard, is trying to learn everything that humankind has learned in the however many years it is since we've been driving. Mm. You know, we've learned from each other, we've learned from our own experiences. It's a self-learning system. And yeah, autonomous cars need to have better data. And as soon as we get cars which are sharing data almost in real time, things are going to start to improve over what we can do, I think. Well, We're not I mean, there yet. I think well, it's I mean, a very long time. It's yeah, longer yeah, than yeah. we give people. I don't know, I don't know. Well, no, I, I, but you think of the subtleties and the complexities. I mean, I'll give you an example. Just coming up here, I drove up here this evening, and yep. there's a bit, when you come onto the high street near here, yep. where you can go straight on, but there's this weird little almost alley that cuts you off to the left that joins the same road. Yes, yes, and I know. And it's a better but junction then, yeah. yeah. It's a better junction than to merge onto the main road. yes. Because I was following Waze to see if it could get me here any more quickly, hmm. and it was saying, just go straight on to the main junction. Yeah. But I know, you just spear off the left, and it's, yeah. it's quicker and easier and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not really a safety-critical thing, but it's just this kind of sort of local knowledge. And also, because you could see this junction, it just takes you to the same place, because it's just a pub on an island in the middle, isn't it? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. The software and the, the programming at the moment, on certainly on the, the Waze version of things, just goes, oh, well, it hasn't. Somehow it's missed the nuance of that little cut-through. Yeah, maybe. And stuff like that. You just think, well, no, of course they'll crack it, because yeah, they will. Okay, you know, no, ways, actually, what I should have done is given some user feedback and gone, 
That's a minor right. point. Guys, for, hang on, for those who haven't experienced Waze, explain what it is. It's just a, sat it, nav on your phone. But yeah, it's, but, but it, it uses that. input that we are all putting yeah. into it ourselves. If you pass a police car on the road, you can say, yes, I've just yeah. passed a police car, and everyone who's on Waze gets that bit of information. Crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing. I wouldn't bet against self-driving systems getting better at anything that humans do behind the wheel, hmm. particularly if they're learning systems... No, I mean, I know, don't they're, doubt they will. It's just I think to it's going to take longer. The way it is at the moment, if you're not really sort of into cars, particularly into following technology and stuff, it's almost being made to sound like they're imminent, that we're going to have level yeah, five yeah. autonomy yeah, sort yeah. of next year. And there's absolutely no way. And it doesn't help, again, with sort of Tesla going, we have an autopilot system. And if you're a layman, you kind of go, oh, mm. autopilot, like in plane, so I could sit in the back while it, you know, mm. it sounds more advanced than it probably is. And this is the problem as well. And I notice the press now sees on any accident involving a self-driving car under testing, that one with the Volvo that hit the lady with the bicycle being the case in point. But there was another one a couple of weeks ago with a Waymo Chrysler that they were testing. And, of course, the first thing they do is season it and go, self-driving car kills person. And that is terrible, and it sort of shows that it's in its infancy, but it's, they don't, the headlines are going, human-driven car kills mm-hmm. 100 right. people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People are doing... But the thing is, this is prototype testing happening in public. You know, it's, it's, it's a incredibly well, complex technology and, and, in and, its and infancy. Yeah, and it is being pushed quite aggressively. I'm not sure that it's being pushed too far too fast. I don't have a really good sense for how close we are to having properly autonomous cars on our roads. But I do wonder whether at this point where... Can I answer that question? Ford say that they're going to have a car without a steering wheel for use in 2020. And where do they expect to be able to put that on the roads... Where do they expect regulations, to allow legislation that. to allow Is that car really to be 2020? used? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember that line from the boss, we were, we'll, we'll save yeah. a car without a steering wheel. I was like, yeah. well... You could do that now, it'd just be really dangerous. But. Or you just have a joystick, <laughs> or you have a joystick instead of a steering yeah. wheel. Yeah. Thing, remember Saab were fanning around with that in the 80s? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. joystick, we like that. OK, but there is no way that in 2020 Ford are going to launch a self-driving car that's going to work in North America, Britain, the rest right. of Europe. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's... It will work in that, some that areas very well, they, yeah. they, they, they may well put on sale some kind of car that doesn't have a steering wheel, but it's not going to be a fully autonomous car that's going to just hit the road and work everywhere. But the thing I was going to get onto is, as we're sort of saying that, you know, this self-driving technology is not ready for prime time yet. Yeah, we're still developing mm. it. Uber has just stopped the trials of its own self-driving cars, or they've paused those trials because mm. of an accident, and so they're you know, not cracking on as fast as they could. Is this the time when Uber should be trying to sell us the idea of flying autonomous taxis, <laughs> which they're pitching basically to American legislators and Probably you know, uh, rulemakers this week. They're trying mm. to have, they've got this mini-summit thing going. Safer up there and with a bit more space around you than down here, well, I it reckon. Is, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, actually, actually, it is safer up there yeah. than it is down here. But, um, as long as your engine keeps you in the air, yeah. Well, and yeah. I had a bit of a look into this, and it seems like probably one of the bigger problems for them is going to be the battery technology in this case. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, they do need significantly better batteries than we have right now to make these flying taxis work. Um, That's a good point. Though, isn't it? If the engine gives out, that's one of the places where you want a pilot around at that point because that's what they're trained to do. Mm-hmm. Engage, auto rotate, and use their experience and their training to go right. Let's see if we can sort this out. And I yeah. don't know what computer protocols there are to sort of go. Oh, it depends well, how it's fixed, staying up there. My, my bodge would simply be my suggested cheap non-pilot involving bodge mm. would be. A parachute. Yes. Simple as that. Or move away from four rotor uh, fixed blades to something more like a helicopter. That will auto-gyro down, will sycamore down. Helicopters don't crash. I'll tell you why I don't think that's going to work. I think all of these designs that we're going to be coming up with for lightweight, autonomous flying taxis, they're just not going to have the spinning mass in their Mm -hmm. rotors to do the Mm auto-gyro trick. Yeah, yeah, little fixed blades. Yeah, they won't have the angular momentum. Well, that's what I'm saying. They have to move away from that to something more like a helicopter. And that's... Then you can't make that a sort of a small, lightweight, autonomous vehicle. And I believe there are other reasons why these sort of multi-rotor designs are I don't know, Mr. safer than... Mr. Wallace did it very successfully with little Nelly and Auto-Gyro. Uh, not you know, really we, the basis yeah, for an autonomous uh, taxi, though, is it? Technology has moved on a little bit since then. Uh, much yeah. as, uh, also, because if you start making them like helicopters, what you're really doing is just building helicopters. the helicopter. Yeah. And yeah. The helicopters okay. are really expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like the helicopter, I think. Well, you know, I, I, know, know what, redundancy. Well, you I love helicopters. Go out to Dubai. Right now, you can call an Uber helicopter in Dubai. Can you actually do that yeah, now? Like, we yeah. talked about the yeah, promise of the little drone things, yeah, but they've no, no, just also you know, I don't know, it's or something. Yeah, so, wow. Yeah, so there you go. They already have helicopters. Well, and, interesting enough, and they're flown by people. Dubai is one of the three cities that was mentioned by Uber as being the place where they're 
hoping to do trials. Ah, you know, right. Uh, yeah. Coming back to cars, though, coming back down to ground okay. level, I think you mentioned something earlier on, which is absolutely correct. And Richard, you inferred this as well. Writing the software for a car that functions on American grid system roads is completely different to the lunacy of the merging three to one lanes in Britain. I'm not when, sure that it is. When you have to allow to be driving with Brits who are likely to go, oh, no, no, no. Some people go, no, no, after you. And other people will go, no, elbows out. You know, yeah, in America, the they zipper. Over here, we're far more unpredictable. And I think it's a more well, tricky thing to write for the UK than it is for the US. I don't know. I dare say there'd be some sort of localization. Oh, yes. For but the thing your is, it's software. But I also, think... if the other vehicles that you're interacting with as an autonomous vehicle are also autonomous oh, vehicles... Oh, yeah, yeah, they're all talking th- to each know, other. That's no problem. Be, it's all, but that's not it's going to be the case, that's is it? Yeah. Particularly in the early days. Transition right. period. Yeah, right, right, right. yeah, yeah. It's all going to get very messy. Really messy. And I think, yeah. actually, it'd be frustrating if you're in the autonomous car, you suddenly notice that, because they will err on the side of caution, yeah. as they already do. Now, I've driven two cars recently that have some self-driving capability in inverted commas. I drove the new Nissan Leaf. You have to keep a hand on the wheel and all that sort of stuff, but it will drive itself and it will go stop-start mm-hmm. traffic. It'll sort of take care of it. Unless you stop for a certain amount of time and all of these have this as a safety feature, I guess, in case you've stopped and then you pass out or something that you have to dab the accelerator or push a button on the wheel to start going again if you've stopped for more than a few seconds. That bit works really well and it does take some of the aggro out of stop-start driving. Yeah. But once you start building up speed again, how easily the Nissan system, I noticed, was thrown off if it couldn't clearly see white lines on both sides. Hmm. And on, for example, the North Circular in London, if you're in the outside lane, the white line by the kerb has often disappeared or was never there. Under and a pile of rubbish can't, stuff, yeah, it's yes. under a load of, you know discarded shoes and shopping trolleys and things so yeah it gets thrown off and it just basically abdicates responsibility then he goes can't steer for you sorry Mm. and you're on your own baby and you go oh well you were a minute ago and this is the thing what I've realised is the other one I drove was in the Volvo XC40 and in principle you go oh how wonderfully relaxing on a boring commute Mm -hmm. to have the car take care of at least some of the stuff but because you can't entirely rely on them to be consistent, they're not relaxing at all. It may be extremely You're kind of constantly expecting And the to step Volvo in. at one point yeah. came up to some traffic lights and there's stopped cars, and I could see there were stopped cars from frigging miles back. It was a straight road, and it was like, it's not easing off, never mind braking, it's just going headlong. You know, we're doing 40 miles an hour. It wasn't like it was sort of motorway speeds, but even so, 40 miles an hour feels frigging fast when things ahead yeah. of you are stopped, and by now you'd you be would have braked. at least covering yeah. the brake and probably yeah. actually braking. Yeah. And in the end, I just went, oh, and I over the right. Because, yeah. yeah, I was like, what point were you going to do something, yeah, car? Yeah. Well, yeah. okay, but I'm quite confident in saying that had you not done that, the car would have stopped anyway. Well, I mean, okay. I'll tell you what, Zogger, I'll I, book you in. I, was, I, was, I wasn't in that car, I, I know. It felt a bit hairy to me. I'm yeah. sure it would. You're absolutely right. There's no way it couldn't have seen three rows of cars up yeah. ahead stopped. It was but thinking just, about something like, else, wasn't well, it? Yeah, it was thinking it was. about a trip to Ikea or oh, something. What it's vulgar. Day it is. And then you go, no, 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 yeah. braking, please, braking, braking! Yeah. Driving in America, I've said it for years, if you drive in the States, you plug into the system. It's much more difficult to make a mistake in America. No, stop, wrong way! You can't drive down into a one-way street. It's much more difficult to do that in America than it is over here. That's one Things thing that... Things are flagged up kind of more aggressively and clearly. And yeah. The system mm. is... Just, you're right, there's you're the, in the, a the system. more mandatory stop... Yeah. Signs and mm. yeah. And, yeah. So cars with levels of autonomy can cope with that better. I think lanes are clearly defined more so in the States than they are over here. But the real thing that any autonomous software would have to cope with is sharing a bit of road with, I don't know, Pastor Maldonado or Max Verstappen, someone who is unpredictable. You can a, make roads predictable, you can't make people. You know, you know, if, yeah. if you're in London, you know, kids on mopeds or cyclists in traffic are among the less yeah. predictable And things. a lot of the yeah. way in which we cope with all that and how you read what's going to happen, read the situation, there's a great deal of eye contact involved. Mm. Yes, or at least the is. body language of the car. Yep. Which yes. Oh, absurd. we've all said this. Yeah, we've read the body language yeah, of the yeah. car. Yeah. And that's something mm-hmm. that's built on, you know, usually it's our years of driving experience. The longer you've been driving, the more you kind of go... Oh, yeah, that that car hasn't signalled, but it looks like it's about to turn left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I would be surprised if the self-driving systems that are being improved at the moment, I'd be very surprised if they don't pick up on that same kind of body language. If you're sharing data between cars, you'd be able to tell the wheel angle of the car in front of you. But you don't want to rely on data sharing between vehicles. I would have thought, surely, but maybe this is a fundamental misunderstanding I have, but I would have thought that one of the things that you absolutely have to do in designing the software for an autonomous vehicle is to make sure that it 
will operate and will be safe, even if it's not getting data from other vehicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it has to be autonomous. But I'll give you an example of where I think the AI or whatever else has to go into these systems has to be really, really calibrated incredibly mm. well to match what we're capable of as people. And it wasn't when I was, I was even in the car. Yesterday morning, I was walking the dog. I came up to a pedestrian crossing, zebra crossing that goes across the side road. And I looked to one-way street and there was a Citroen C4 Picasso coming. And I looked and I just thought, they're often driven by people who don't know how to drive. <laughs> and so I'm going to assume he's not going to stop for this crossing that I'm actually About now at the edge of with right. my big hairy dog. We're not invisible here on a bright sunny morning. And sure enough, he just sailed right through mm. to the junction. So basically, I think as part of calibrating autonomous cars, I'm willing to help out here. I'll go in and I'll do them a list of cars driven by people who don't know what the frig they're doing. Yeah. Vauxhall Corsa. Number one. Yeah. Taxi! Welcome to the Vegas Tron 5000. Your autonomous transport to any destination in Las Vegas. To begin, select your language. Your choices are English, Española, Brahmi. You have selected Brahmi, Aroitbab, Intit Ot. Oh, it's Ot. Too Ot for me. Any road, where's we going to today, my love? You have selected that building with the Eiffel Tower on it. Aya? Boston. Step Central! We Gareth Jones on speed! Now, if you've listened to Gareth Jones on speed for a few years, you'll know that we each have our own specialisation on this programme. Richard cares about nice old Jags and Land Rovers and used to love... Rovers of the 1960s and the 70s and Chryslers of the 70s. That's right, isn't it? Is that um, your specialist areas, would you say? It's some of them, not some all of them. them yeah. Yeah. For me, it's Slade, Wales, Star Trek, Gilburn, Lancia. That's about it for me, isn't it? Yeah, can't think Did of anything else. Did you say Ford? Else. Oh, Ford. I didn't mention Ford. Yeah. Well, actually, I want to talk about Ford later on. I must remember that. But for Zog... He's a Renaissance man. You were talking about... I'm kind of sort of quite good at a bunch of stuff, yeah. not really good at any one thing. Well, so, I don't know, I've got a lot of breath. You're but the only one amongst the three of us who understands quantum field mechanics at a conversational level. Quantum Wait, field theory. There you go. See, I didn't even know what it's called. <laughs> but you decided to look into that sort of like thing know, and have I'd a like go. To, I like to know how things work. And I do a bit more fixing of my own vehicle than either of you two tend to do, I think. I barely um, do anything because yeah. I'm lazy and incompetent. I drive a Toyota. <laughs> I don't go. need to fix there it. There you go. There <laughs> go. Uh, but, no, but I do like to understand how things work and I like a problem that requires logical steps to solve and maybe requires you to make a thing to solve it. And it's very satisfying to have a project that involves building something or making something you don't quite know how to build at the start. Fixing a car is inherently satisfying. You, see, you know, I you start with a car that doesn't work and then it works. It's brilliant. I sort of feel like that about cooking. cooking don't mind having a go at something and going, oh, look at that. I just made something I just new. made an I amazing just, I've never plate of food. It tastes delicious. It. But the thing is, I can't bear to do it with cars because if you make a they right old mess of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just need a bit more seasoning. It's fine. So I think, oh, now I've broken my car. You know, yeah, if you I, make I, a mess I, of a I meal, a couple of times, you don't have to please. ring a professional chef and go, could you come around and sort this out for me? You just throw it away. Yeah. And start again, or make something else. But when you break your own car, or make the situation worse, which I feel like I would and have done, I can't bear that. I just get cross with myself. But when you get over that terrible spell where you're kind of looking deep into the depths of the engine, yeah. into which you may just have dropped a oh, tool. I can say, at least once, I've been staring into the place where the spanner has just dropped oh. and has not come out the bottom. And That's you're going, a dark place. Where that is. is that yes. now? I think every time I've done any substantial degree of taking stuff apart in the engine bay to fix something, I always find <laughs> at least one <laughs> socket or little <laughs> screwdriver bit or some tool. I'm glad you're not a surgeon. I really am. Oh, that's where it is. Yeah, but look, even good surgeons, yeah, they leave stuff in bodies all the time. I'm just following proper medical procedure. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not ashamed. So this whole last three minutes has been a way of getting to what I'm holding in my hand at the moment because Zog has turned up here today with the most remarkable example of his resourcefulness. Let me describe it to you. 
Imagine a 1970s Bond bug coloured box. It's orange, right? The same orange that the Bond bug was signature mm. colour in, or only colour it was available in. It is a polyphene, what do you call that, polyethylene poly? It's uh, plastic. It's ABS plastic. ABS plastic box, about the size of, I don't know, two or three VHSs stuck. That's not going to help <laughs> you. You won't even know what a VHS is. Yeah. It's house about brick. the it's about size of a wax cylinder. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a house brick or a small box. About the size tissues. of a house brick, yeah. And it's sitting on a home-constructed sort of ladder frame, aluminium box girder Quite chassis, right. which has been drilled for lightness there you go. and made by Zog. Did so you do it, the drilling? I did, yeah. Because, yeah. Oh, amazing. I really noticed. If you've seen the picture from this program, you'll know As you can tell, I got a little bit obsessive about saving weight on this. And the clue is what it actually is. I mean, it's tiny for what it is. It's got two terminals, one black, one red, opposite ends of the box. Zog built it himself, and it is a car battery. You made your own car battery. And how much would you say that weighs? You're holding it in your hand. How much would you guess that weighs? I'd say that is less than the weight of a bag of flour. So that, what's that, 750 grams less than a kilogram? Actually, you're low. Yeah. The size of it may be tricking your brain. It's 1.2 kilograms. So Okay. Yeah, about, but they, and what does a normal battery weigh? Well, the battery that's replacing weighs 18 kilograms. So I've made myself a lightweight battery that weighs 7% of what the original battery weighs. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I was going to say, no. how cool is that? I, I think that round of applause just demonstrates yeah. that was, it's a pretty neat... Uh, can I ask? And it's... Yeah, go What's in the box? OK, well, what, that's a good question, Richard. Just a little bit of a backstory. Why have I built myself my own car battery? Why, have you? Done yeah, why have why? I? Well, I just kind of got this idea in my head that I wanted to replace my big old lead-acid car battery with a lightweight lithium-ion, modern, 21st-century replacement. Because mm. I've been reading a bit about lightweight lithium-ion batteries, and they're increasingly popular, particularly on high-end cars. And if you're prepared to pay about £1,700, you can buy one from Porsche. Yeah. I think you can get one for your McLaren for about mm. 1300 yeah. You can buy third-party lithium-ion batteries, usually several hundred pounds. The point being, that why would you pay several hundred pounds for a car battery? Because that's a lot of money for a car battery. Silly money. Mm. Well, people pay that because they are much lighter than the lead-acid equivalent. And if you want to save a bit of weight, replacing a huge lump of mostly lead is a pretty good way of doing that. But I didn't want to buy an expensive battery. And having read on a couple of forums where people had talked about the construction of batteries, I thought, well, I could have a go at that myself. And how much did it cost? It cost me about £100 in bits. Wow. What is in the box, to answer the question? There are eight lithium-ion phosphate cells Mm -hmm. arranged in pairs. So I've got four sets of twin lithium-ion phosphate cells which arranged in series gives me 13.2, 13.6 volts, that kind of range. So just the right voltage for the car and that will deliver enough starting current. It has a lot less reserve capacity of way less amp hours than the battery it's replacing. Mm. But I don't ever sit with the engine turned off running stuff, running the battery down. So Mm -hmm. that doesn't hugely worry me. And as well as those eight cells, which are the core of it, I mean, that's what's basically replacing the other battery, there are some electronics in there to manage the balancing of the cells. Where did you get those from and what are they? uh, Either Amazon or eBay. Judging by the number of off-the-shelf balance and protection boards designed specifically for lithium-ion phosphate and other types of lithium-ion batteries that you can get, there are obviously a lot of people putting together DIY lithium-ion projects. How did you but, know? Was there a plan you were able to follow or you made uh, it out of your head and I'm, there was enough I'm metal left over to do another were, one? I found a couple of quite good videos on YouTube by geeky tinkerers who were building themselves... Oh, I love light that show, geeky tinkerers. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's not... No, hang on. <laughs> and I found some good threads on a couple of forums. It's not terribly hard to figure out, in the sense that, in the end, if I just connected those cells to those battery terminals and stuck it in the car, it would have worked. Mm. Although you wouldn't expect the life of those cells to be all that long, because if you don't balance out the cells that you connect in series, Mm -hmm. if they're not being charged in particular equally, Mm. if you have imbalances in voltage between them, that 
will lessen the life of your whole battery assembly quite dramatically. So you need you need to have a balance. You need some balance and protection stuff in there. It's something that I didn't know about basically having to balance these batteries until I was listening to something about Tesla and a US company. They're one of these teardown companies. They dismantle cars and sell the data. About those cars to other car manufacturers, and they've just done a Tesla Model Three. And the guy from the company was on this podcast talking about it, and it's a mixed bag. I mean, he says sort of mechanically and bodily, it's a bit of a show, but the electronics apparently are sensational. He was raving about them. One of the things he said was, "Their guys who know about batteries said they'd never seen such well-balanced battery cells in an electric car." Mm. It was just it was immaculate from an electronics point of view. Well, so how have you I, balanced these? Well, I've just bought a balance board and wired it up as wow. you're supposed to wire it up. Simple as that. Right. This I, Britain's test I, I, standing next you, to yeah, you. Yeah, you just made a load no, more no, of these. Nowhere near. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not guaranteeing that this thing is going to be massively reliable. <laughs> I've basically replaced a very well-proven, reliable, solid bit of technology that your car absolutely needs Mm. with something that I've cobbled together myself. Some people might think that's not the smartest thing to do. If I needed my car to be 100% reliable all the time, I would stick with the lead-acid battery, at least until I tested this Mm. a lot more thoroughly. But it does strike me, and I was thinking about this only the other week, that the battery, the conventional car battery as we know it, feels incredibly archaic. Mm. It feels like a really old-fashioned piece of technology that hasn't evolved with the rest of the car. Because they're so heavy and so big, and they are just lead and then acid. What were we thinking? You are absolutely right. stupid thing to lug around. And it's uh, incredible that it's only now we're sort of starting to see, as you pointed out, for incredible cost, these lithium-ion batteries that Porsche and people will fit, and sell it on the lightweight advantages of it. But it's also a packaging thing. They're much smaller, aren't they? Yeah, Yeah, this is, again, much Three VHS cassettes of tissues demonstrate <laughs> that it's much more compact. Than, I mean, you couldn't be standing there for the length we've been talking about, sort of 13, 14 minutes, no. with a car battery no, in your hands. You'd be wanting to put it down because they're ridiculous. I, mean, I mean, you know, we could toss it between. It's quite yes. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't do Oh, there you go. You know, that was beautiful. That was an easy catch. I'm meeting. It's, 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 it's beautiful, it's, 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 it's a lovely bit of engineering. It's astonishingly light, considering um, it does the same job as something that's astonishingly heavy. And I just can't believe this right. thing. And also, I know this is particularly prevalent. If you're one of those people who has a car you don't use that much, or you have a second car that's sort of tucked away in a garage, it's almost inevitable that if you've forgotten to disconnect the battery or leave it on a trickle charger, the battery will have gone flat. Car yes, batteries just right, go yeah, flat all yeah. the time. I've had various cars over the years that I have haven't used very much for various reasons and I always end up coming back to them and they don't start and it's the battery always and I believe it's the case that lithium iron phosphate cells they should show less drop off in their charge if you leave them for a mm. few weeks than a lead acid battery mm. and actually I should just say having described this as a lithium iron phosphate battery I should just say a quick thing about sort of the chemistry of lithium batteries oh, I was going to ask which is well I, I could tell that question was <laughs> burning Come on. lithium iron batteries have got a bit of a bad reputation because they explode all the time basically mm. now yeah. you tell me stand back Richard we're just well, throwing it around like a you remember oh. all those Boeing Dreamliners yeah, that yes. were catching fire a few years ago? Yeah. Those were lithium-ion batteries, and if you've got spare batteries for your camera and stuff, you're not allowed to have those, I think, in your checked luggage anymore. Because yeah. oh. airlines, they don't want lithium-ion batteries in the cargo hold. So mm. lithium-ion, there is some fire-slash-explosion hazard associated with and the, some lithium-ion batteries. The, uh, the Rimac electric car that my colleague Richard Hammond crashed in Switzerland burned. Yeah for, uh, I can't remember how long, 24 hours, something like that, maybe a bit more, because it had thermal runaway, where right. one mm-hmm. cell goes and then yeah, it, just, it, it, just sort of, yeah. you know, it just ignites the next one, which ignites the next one, and it just mm. becomes very hard to manage. Yeah, well, one of the things that, and I'm not claiming to have become any kind of expert on this, I'm, I'm just cobbling this together and it's working so far and I'm getting a bit better at this, but one thing I did learn is that there are various different kinds of lithium-ion chemistry, and, for mm. example, the batteries in the Boeing airliners were... I think lithium manganese, and more recently, this lithium iron phosphate chemistry has become available. It performs very slightly less well than some of the other lithium iron chemistries in terms of either energy density or power density, but it's much, much safer. It's impossible to get thermal runaway with lithium iron phosphate cells. I feel better now. So it's, it's much safer chemistry 
Nothing to worry about. It doesn't quite have the capacity of a big old 16... It doesn't have anywhere near the capacity of the battery that I've replaced it with. In fact, it's actually got a rather pathetic number of amp-hours capacity-wise. What stopped you from matching the capacity of a lead-acid battery? I guess most expense, because the eight cells that I bought to make this up, which were the most expensive part of it, I think they cost me about £8 each, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's for a single lithium-ion phosphate cell that is a really cool green colour. It's fantastic. You love the look of them. But it's kind of like a D-cell type yeah, thing, yeah, if you know. Yeah. You remember that, that kind of size of battery. They're about that size. So eight of those, each of those has a capacity, I think, of about 3,000 milliamp hours. So if you wanted to make a 60 amp hour battery, you'd need 60... I mean, I'd have needed... Um, I'm going to work this out. I don't doubt it. Work this out, okay. um, I think I'd have needed about 80 of those cells. So that's probably a box about the size of a so it, conventional it, battery. It would have been about the same size as yeah. a lead-acid battery. And it would have been a lot more expensive. Yeah. And I'm quite happy to shell out 100 quid on bits to make my slightly cobbled together. But it works, Beautiful. and it's a good Mark One battery. Mm. But, Does but, it charge but, at the same but, rate? But it holds its charge in cold weather and stuff like that, comparable to a lead-acid, you know? Well, we're only about two or three weeks into the Mark okay. One battery experiment, so Lovely. I'm afraid I don't have much data yet. What I can say is that I do have some doubts about just how well it's charging, but I'm not quite sure of that yet. Cold weather, I expect it to not work so well in cold weather. However, we haven't had the cold weather yet, so I can't check. But I also expect that if I just turn on the lights for a short time before I start the engine, that will heat the battery up enough that it will then perform at its best, and it will turn out the considerable number of amps that it has to turn out to turn the engine over. Do you know what I love about so, this? Uh, I think I'll post some pictures of this on my Twitter account and people can see for themselves. We have a picture of it in situ as well. You can. And I might even do a little picture of the internals because the reason oh, yes. I, not I have it out of the car today, because I have been running it in the car, the reason I had it out of the car today was that I was just trying to figure out how to strengthen the interior of it. Yeah. Because if there's one criticism I have of my work here is that you've got this basically lightweight construction and then you've got these big honking brass terminals screwed through the plastic top, which, of course, when you clamp big, heavy battery terminals onto them, the structure of the box flexes Uh a bit, you know, because it's just not big and beefy and chunky. So it's kind of flexing and moving a bit. I'm just thinking that's probably not good long-term for... A bit of vibration at movement in the car. It's going to cause cracks and could get short. Yeah, yeah, and if if I've got some soldering in there that isn't super great and, you know... So, I soldered it, so it's not going to be super. So if you great. don't get thermal you know, runaway, you'll electrocute. I'll to get death. some other. Yeah, yeah, right. but I, yeah. I was trying to figure out how to put some kind of subframe in there to support the terminals. Yeah, made to a British standard, I think it is. Okay. Well, it's made to a Zog standard. It's, it's going to be. About, <laughs> uh, I've got a little subframe made of carbon fibre tubes with some aluminium kind of bracing at the corner. That's the Mark II. It's basically absurdly complicated. It needs to be really, but hey. Do you know what I love about this? You thought about it, so we didn't need to. <laughs> and it works. Hi, this is Zog. Sorry I can't answer the phone right now, but if you leave a message, I'll get right back to you. Hey Zog, it's the Canadian musical artist Grimes. You probably hadn't heard of me until I started going out with Elon Musk. So... I hear you're, like, doing some really interesting stuff with batteries. And I wanted you to know I think that's super cool and hot. Maybe you want to call me sometime. We could, you know, hook up and talk about cell balancing or whatever. It's cool. I told Elon we have an open relationship until he delivers my Model 3. So, any time in the next six years is cool. Later. Gareth Jones on speed. Very impressed that Zog just spoke for 20 minutes about his battery. That's remarkable. And I didn't even get on to all the balancing stuff, to how I use the <laughs> diode, to... 
Okay, I'm going to shut up about the battery for I a I think you need your own podcast, I'll give it seriously. Which leaves only about 20 minutes left for poor old Richard and I to talk about what we were going to talk about on this show. And that is some of the cars that we've been driving recently, two of which I would imagine you've probably found very satisfying. If the two cars you've mentioned you've been driving, which one do you want to talk about first? Oh, I came here in an Audi RS4. You like? Uh, yeah, I do. I sound a bit reticent there, because I do. I really like it. I think it's a tremendous car. And I think it's also a pleasant car. It's a car that you sort of could imagine having. Well, I can imagine having it, because here's what I find interesting and admirable about it, is that, unlike some of those fast Audis, the estate as well, Hmm. which all of those RS cars seem to somehow be more appealing as estates. I know what you mean. I think there's something in the surprise factor of something that looks so kind of, relatively speaking boringly practical that just goes so brutally fast. You know, well, nothing it. boring about an estate, young man. You mind your language in this house. I love the fact that Audi made estates super cool. Yeah, they hadn't quite been as cool as that until Audi started doing that. Well, now, is it cool? I think it's cool for people like us, because we do go, ooh, practical, but also really fast. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. And there's also there's a bit of added cool with the RS Band that it's a bit cue car. It's, it's not well, a, that's pe- the people... thing. If I had one, I think the first thing I'd do is debadge it. Mm. Like an RS6 I saw last week parked outside my local corner shop which was all black completely debadged to the point where I was like is that an RS6 because I was like well it looks like it's got the swollen arches because it's all black and everything's black and it's hmm. de-chromed and everything. it just you were like so I can't it just is it the light playing trick no it's definitely yeah it's basically, basically, if it had been outside a bank rather than the corner shop yeah. you'd have thought it was a getaway exactly <laughs> oh, <it was> a <laughs> very good getaway car. the only thing that spoiled it and I need to check if this is an option because it's on this press RS4 that I've got at the moment is this new thing Audi have started doing with RS cars which is to write Quattro across the lower air intake on the front or even on the I think on, the, on this one it might even be sort of on the kind of splitter bit below that mm. It's really chintzy. It doesn't need it. And this RS6, this totally debadged, blacked-out RS6, when I got round the front of it, it had that quattro written on the thing. I just went, oh, well, that spoils mm. it. That's really killed it, because it's like everything else is so completely subtle and brilliant. And I love that, because I was driving around in the RS4 today, and it's this great sort of undercoaty grey. It's a lovely colour. And you can see more of the detail on it. You can see that it's got sort of box arches like a quattro, except done in a slightly cack-handed way. I don't know what's going on with Audi design at the moment. It's bloody awful. There's a detail on the current Q7, which is, I think we know, is like nothing attracts awful people like a Q7. Correct. It's just the worst, worst dregs it, of humanity, but with money. Correct. It's the new X5. Yes, yes, it is. It is. It is. Yes. And, the, and so the, the new Q7, if you look at it, Audi have gone big on, Volkswagen Group generally have gone big on sort of the latest panel pressing technology, and particularly things like superforming, where they can do much more intricate shapes. And sometimes that's great and they can do interesting things with it. But it just means that it's given the designers carte blanche to start putting extra details on it. If you look at the Q7, there's a strip down the side. You know, it's almost like a bevel. The body side comes up and then it slopes in and then it slopes in some more. This distinctive strip down the side of the car. But yep. within that strip, have a look. There's a crease over the rear wheel arch and then there's one at the front, quite a subtle one. It sort of goes diagonally across... That oh, breaking that creep. I've noticed yeah. that. I know and what you mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Within, yeah, the, within yeah. the double, sort of within yeah. the double curve. And it's busy yeah. and it's a bit needless. Too much. And mm. it's unattractive. Just from many angles, it just looks like, in fact, there's missed panel a bit. damage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been creased. Someone's just sort of bin lorries dinked into it or something like that. You mm. just go, why have you done that? Except that you can. Except, yeah, yeah. Audi design has completely lost the plot. So I was going to the new A5 is a deceptively horrible car. <laughs> when you start looking at it, there's a sort of soft, droopy front end. It's just, ugh. So that RS4, I think, is generally quite a nice-looking car. Overall, you go, yeah. If you debadged it and you didn't have Quattro on the front, you just go, maybe get away with that, just looking like a normal estate car, and then people wouldn't know that you sort of got this walloping mm. power. But I don't know. The arches are a little bit crudely done. It's quite like. geometrical, mm. isn't it? Yes, there's, that's the thing. Yes, yeah. a lot of angles in it. Almost yeah. sort of like origami, where you kind of go... Now, why is that? And, and, you know, they're showing off because they go, look, we can fold metal in ways that almost makes it look like yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. didn't think metal could be folded like that. And they go, mm. well, yeah, I didn't think it could, but I don't want it to be. It doesn't <laughs> look nice. So, I don't know. It's just very busy. There's My busyness uh, going on. next door neighbour but one, Afsal, delivers cars for a living. And so every now and again, he turns up in a Huracan or a Speciale or something really right. amazing. Yeah, he has some incredible cars. And he had an RS4 a week ago. It was white, and it got my attention. All the highlighting on it was in black, and I thought, wow, this mm. is, you know, really quite subtle. And I said to him, Afsal, what do you reckon? He said, 
Gareth, don't need any other car ever. It's better than anything I've ever driven. Really? Well, yeah. That's why. It's just amazing. And that's all I had to say about it. And this is a man who's driven some incredible cars. Have you had much opportunity to drive this thing at pace yet, Richard? Is it an ultimate performance car? Uh, no, it's not. Actually, it's, it is really impressive. But, I mean, I'm being picky here because I think it's so good that you then start to demand more of it. Mm-hmm. And you're aware that it's yeah, a big, heavy car. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not massive. But it's an estate car. It's a family yeah, car. Yeah. It's not and a load of these. It's a, no. It's a big truck. And that's the thing. Some of those old, fast Audis used to be very susceptible to feeling sort of quite nose-heavy. And mm-hmm. then that, ultimately, if you really lent on them, they did understeer because the engine was so far forward in the chassis. And this is much more balanced. And it's got a tricksy diff, which, again, I probably should read up on because I'm not quite clear what's going on. But... Not it's only does it, in any case, not only does it dig in on the front end, so you you have to be being a real. I mean, I don't know what it's like in the wet because it's been bone dry this week, but certainly you'd have to be driving like a real penis to get it to <laughs> to lose grip at the front because it is very very planted there. But then you turn, you turn in aggressively, and the back end kind of goes whoop. I'm coming along to the point where you suddenly go, is it what just happened there? You, Quattro, you, sir, it's all doing it independently, isn't it? Well, it's moving that's the, power the thing. Around. Well, Quattro always used to be original Quattro used to be quite sort of locked down and they stuck with torsion diff in the middle and that made mm-hmm. it but it's now the software and the fact it's got one of those active diffs at the back I think mm-hmm. means they can play tunes on it and it does corner in quite an aggressive way if you wanted to you know like it really digs in but you could just lean on it and it's extraordinary but I couldn't quite let go of this sense that there's actually quite a lot of weight here I think you could drive that car on track and you'd go wow I can't believe how much grip it's got and how fast it goes and you'd do a few laps and then go oh I need a new set of tyres yeah, yeah, yeah. There's got to be a trade-off somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, I just yeah, have a feeling yeah. that it's one of those cars that's probably not very kind on its tyres because wow. of all the incredible clever tuning that's gone on. What, to well, uh, no, that, that should really... protect your tyres, surely, because well, it's got each well, wheel no, operating no, no, at the right speed. No, 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 because no. No, if you, no. there's just no getting around the fact that if you've got a couple of tonnes of metal doing a certain speed, all the energy of the accelerating and the braking has to go through those tiny patches of rubber that are on the ground. I mean, sure, the details of how the car is sprung and just the suspension's working, all kinds of stuff, that is going to have an effect on how the tyres are wearing. But basically, all of the energy that's going through that system is, in the end, going through the tyres, and if you've got a load more weight, you're just going to be wearing them a whole lot quicker well, and wearing out a lot of other things. You know, there yeah, is yeah. no substitute for adding lightness. Yeah, true <laughs> enough. But the other thing about tyres is funny, because I think also it's not just what you were saying, but I think if a car is set up well, so it maximises the amount of grip it can find from that contact patch, mm-hmm. you can just lean on it more, you drive it more aggressively so you're, so you're actually spending more yeah. time sort of yeah. very near yeah, the, limit the limits of grip of the tires, the tires. heating up because right. my old ford yeah. cat yeah. my very first car yeah. was on 155 section tires yeah but it was so beautifully set up you used to just drive everywhere flat out you know and sort of going through roundabouts it would four-wheel drift a little bit like an old mini it was a wonderful <laughs> car but i used to go through a set of tires like less than ten thousand miles integrally drivers used to get through them every six thousand yeah, miles for the same reason go, i've got yeah. so much grip here i'm just going to go yeah. absolutely pile through yeah, yeah. but that's it something's got to give and i have yeah. a feeling that rs4 will be the same you're mm. going around going oh my god i can't believe how much it clings yeah. on and how much speed you can carry through corners how much for a and, set? And oh, I can't God's believe sake, not again. how recently I had to check how yeah. recently I paid the charge. Never mind the price of tyres. How many monies for the car? I don't know. I, I, I really I haven't, haven't seen that. No, I haven't. I need to look this up because I'm going to guess. I did look this up when I got it, but because it's got a lot of options on it. I think that one I've got with options is like 80 grand. But I think it's closer to that 70. Was, I was going to say that was about 20 grand um, more than I was going to guess. But, uh, yeah, that's the thing. And do you know what? Not only is Audi maybe losing the plot in design, but you know Audi interiors used to be extraordinary. Where you sort of go, I can't believe they can do this for any money. You know, in terms of car interior, perception of quality. It's mm. very easy to rag on Audis because they're often driven by cretins who can't drive properly but you understand why people are drawn to Audis the other thing car nerds like us would say why are you getting an Audi A3 it's just a Golf get a Golf but you sit in an Audi A3 and you go oh right yeah, yeah. this is much no, nicer than a Golf yeah and I, I completely understand someone walks into a showroom and just goes I'll have that please mm. so you sort of think that no one can touch them for that sort of just immediate sensation of incredible quality and attention to detail and this particularly if it's an 80 grand car like the dash top is kind of it's got that sort of elephant's bottom texture to it it's not very subtly grained mm. fake leather look plastic they used to do so well and this is the one thing otherwise it is 
superb. I'm sounding like I'm moaning about it a lot because it's just because it is actually so good that you start sort of going, oh, but this, then you start finding things. You sort of start to find perfect. things that aren't put, yeah. Sure. It's got TFT dials, yeah. TFT instruments, and you can configure them in different ways. But I haven't found a configuration yet that isn't just a bit too busy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm slightly obsessed because I'm very boring. I'm oh, slightly but- obsessed with the outside temperature. I love an external temperature rating <laughs> in the car. It's one of the things that always disappoints me about my Land Rover. It doesn't have one. But- <laughs> and I got in today because it's been a hot day. I've been out today and I got home. And I was talking to my wife, and she went, it's really hot. They were saying it's going to be like 28 or something. And I went, yeah, it's, well, hang on a minute. I don't know what temperature was when I was in the car. And usually I'll come in and go, do you know how hot it is outside, dear? It's 17 today. Isn't that warm for February? Because <laughs> I'm a very, very boring man. And I realised there's so much information and things, because I've got it where it's got central rev counter, digital speedo in the middle, and I like that as a look. I think it's quite clean. But there's lots just just business going on, logos and stuff on it. And then there's two little dials next to it which have power and torque output in percentages. Oh, that's cool. It's cool. But it's just actually but it's also useless. information. Exactly, what am I doing with this information? Well, I, but again, you I'm never sort of need to know that. You're enjoying I'm on the M1 at the moment, dear, and you know I'm only using 7% of the available power. <laughs> um, that's all you can do. Rolls-Royce over Yes, yeah. yeah. So to get back to this, yeah, this, so this expresses Rolls Royce express it the way around, don't they? Yeah, like yeah. Sort of, Amount you know. available, still available. Yeah. The thing yeah. is, you've just complained about there being all of these ways of laying out the controls, and none of them work for you. I bet that if there was no choice about how that display was laid out, yeah. if it was just a dashboard, a TFT display, and there was just one option, you wouldn't have complained. I probably wouldn't, but... Sorry, I'm just checking but the But it, it's just an interesting sort of aspect of, I think, how we... Well... Yeah, you know, you say that basically the car is so good that you're almost sort of trying to find fault with things. Well, yeah, so... And so because you've got a choice of all these different display mm. configurations... None of those That's really the thing. It's, it's to too much. It is too much. Can too we much make choice. choices better than they can? Having yeah. thought about well, it, with the it's almost like that with adaptive chassis stuff. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, just yeah. Going, just why didn't you just get it right? Get yeah, it right. yeah, One yeah. setting, and that's yeah. got adaptive. Actually, do you know what? Because this is one of the things that most impressed me about that car, and perhaps again, it's expectation versus reality. I expected a sporty Audi to have a terrible ride. And actually, the ride's pretty good. I mean, it's not like an old Jag or something, but it's very acceptable. You could live with it every day in comfort mode. Hmm. You put it into dynamic and it's a bit jittery but it's not awful it mm-hmm. doesn't make you feel like oh god i'm going to break my car every time you go over a bump and it does tighten up the body control a little bit if you're really sort of hustling it about so it's quite well judged but i think our it. expectations we're slightly skewed towards the high end i know we you like a bit of a fat boy float every now and again yeah. but that hyundai i had even in its n sport mode whatever they called it like you say jittery but it was still perfectly manageable bit harsh but Mm. not terrifying it just wasn't floaty car but the things that car would do as a function of that was all the reward you needed Mm. we've got to wrap this quickly but can you give me two minutes on the other car you've been driving i'll save this for another time but i I had a brief go in a volkswagen up gti for second time i've I've driven that car briefly twice now and the second time i loved it even more than the first time i think it's absolutely terrific a really really amusing little car and for 13 grand i have this thing about cars and how much of a car you can use now i yes i I absolutely love that audi and i love it because it's such a Great everyday car, automatic gearbox and softish suspension setting. Cruise around town all day. It's just a car. It's great. And then you can drive it like your hair's on fire in the right circumstances. And it's really good at that as well. And by God, it's fast. 444 horsepower. And I actually thought before I checked it had more because mm. crikey, it gets a lick on. Mm-hmm. And it's most impressive party piece almost is you'll be doing, say, sort of 60 miles an hour and you'll want to go past something. And then you're suddenly doing a lot more than 60 miles an hour, just like that. You can just put it down through all those four yeah, wheels. Yeah, well, that's partly it. Yeah. yeah, it just goes. But one of the things is, I think I said to you before we started recording, that if I had an RS4, there's a part of me thinks, oh, I would probably get into trouble because it's a bit addictive just going yeah. effortless punch. Just mm. go, oh, well, yeah. use a bit of my power here. And uh, check it on my gauge. And you're off. And it's a bit much, I thought, I don't know, you want to use all of this car you've paid for. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've just checked Absolutely. the price, by the way. It's yeah. about 62 base, but there obviously are some options on that car, 80 grand. Yeah, 62's okay, 80's not. What I liked about the Up GTI is that it's a reasonable price and you could use all of it almost all the time. Yeah. So how much power does it have, do you know? Yeah, the good. Up yeah, uh, yeah. has 115 horsepower, I think. Nice. It's just enough. Three-cylinder, turbo. Mm. Again, it's not a perfect car, but I won't bore you with one. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to borrow one. You're smiling uh, when you 
talk about it. You I know. I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, genuinely, yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely smitten to the point where I suddenly went, why have I got my Porsche? Why have I got a Porsche? Like, again, I can't use all yep. of it. Yeah. It's a waste. I just trouser a load of change, buy an app GTI, and even if I'm just driving around on the North Circular, a I'm sense, still using... A very sensible person might do that. Well, the problem is... Not I, I went, I'm no. going to do that. I'm going to do that. First of all, there is a year now, pretty much, as I gather it, at least 10 months wait if you wanted to order a new app GTI right uh, now. It's been wow. a real hit for them. But the other thing is, as soon as I got back in my Porsche, I went, oh, what was I thinking? I love this car. Yes, you do. go. I drove the Skoda City Go a couple of years ago, yeah. which is, again, an up, not the GTI. And I think the whole theme of the film I made for Gareth Jones on Speed, the short video about it, was about managing your expectations and how much of a car you could use. And so I completely understand what you're talking about with GTI. It just wanted just a little bit more, but not much more, because sometimes enough... Is exactly that. Yeah, Enough. it is. It's just it's, it's quite intoxicating when you just sort of yeah. go. Oh, I was made giddy by it. And also, it was a beautiful day when I drove it. I was out with Johnny Smith. We were shooting a video. It was a beautiful set of roads we accidentally found. Up mm. in the, and uh, how much is the UPTI? It's like thirteen, and well, it depends. I mean, there's a three door and a five door. I think the three doors under fourteen, and the five door is I think sort of like fourteen two fifty or something like that. But for what you're getting, and it's quite well equipped as well. It's got everything you need on it, and Bluetooth and all that, Mark, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's little cars. It's it's one of those cars. Just go. I think it's quite a little gem and a bargain to boot. Mm. So yeah, but I'm going to try and borrow one properly for a week because if it fits perfectly into my life, then uh, you might have to have one. Well, except that I'm so impatient, then, I can't wait. But 10 then, yeah, for you one. wouldn't. You want to change your mind three times by then. We've got to wrap this, but before we go, let me just talk about something I've been doing recently. I've been driving some glorious cars, very different to your Up GTI and your RS4, but cars which gave me a huge sense of satisfaction i've just made a film for a website which i'll tell you about where you can see that in a moment it was published on the 23rd of may but it's a little short film which i made with dave vitti you remember comedy dave from radio one top bloke yes came with us to spa to the belgian grand prix with mercedes a few years ago it's the first time i met him and he makes great little films and he's been making films for this website about cars and they were making one about the cortina and richard you kindly mentioned to dave vitti that i quite like a cortina Mm. and so we spent two days filming cortinas mark one mark two mark three mark 480 not the mark five because there really wasn't one were any of them gray cortinas no. Uh, so you didn't Mr. get to use the Tom Robinson song. I didn't, know. Mm. We, we didn't have a whiplash aerial either. But we did use the Gareth Jones and Speed song I wrote called Ford Cortina, sung by Phil Cornwell in the film. The second day we spent filming at the Ford Heritage Centre and I was playing the song on my phone to the guys I'm working with for them to get an idea of it. And one of the guys came out from the office going, is that the Rolling Stones? As uh. well, it's the Rolling Roads, actually. It's me and me mate Phil. It sounds like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, well, that's the yeah, idea. Yeah. It's meant to be that... <laughs> He really is singing full court. He did just sing I'm a dag and a man. Yes, he did. Oh, can I have a copy of that? <laughs> I made their day and they made my day by Excellent. noticing the lyrics and the fact that it was the Stones. I didn't get to drive all four cars at great length, but I did drive the Crusader. That was like driving a ah. modern car. Mm-hmm. I drove the Mark III 1600L, which was the car I learned to drive in. So basically full of tears as I was driving that. I drove the Mark II 1600, which was, of all the cars, just felt the most sorted. It felt like a brilliantly engineered, usable, sensible. No wonder the Cortina did well. It was so great. Mm. But the Mark I I drove was a Lotus Cortina. Yes, I got to drive a Lotus Cortina. Mark I Lotus Cortina. This is the look of envy. This yeah, is what you're looking even at. I'm envious of myself. I promise you. I never, ever thought I did. Impossible to do a three-point turn in, but <laughs> what a Who joy. Cares? Yeah, exactly. What a joy. But the bulk of the film was about these other two Cortinas. One which was a super sport. Basically a Ford... Cortina Mark III, a two-door with the 3.1 Essex block from the racing Capri in it. Because Supersport mm. used to build race cars for Ford in the 60s and the 70s, and they would build this car to order. There's only two. I drove one of those. Oh, you'll wow. see that in the film. And you'll see me driving the most glorious 1300 Mark II estate with tears in my eyes. Because that was the car my dad drove me to Spain and back in with my sisters in 1968, I think, on holiday. And in that moment, not only did I get to drive the car my dad used to drive, I kind of got to be my dad. And, you know, nostalgia in cars is really all about that. So please catch that film. You can get it at the Influx website, which is influx.co.uk. 
www.thefinishededit.co.uk. Enjoy. I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen the finished edit. I can't wait to see it. I should be probably yeah. tearing up. I look forward to seeing it. It is remarkable. It really is. You've been listening to Zog and his battery. Goodbye. Richard and his RS4. Goodbye. And I was Gareth. We're going to leave you with a tune. This one's inspired by the recent work of Childish Gambino, or in our case, Childlike Topolino. See ya. I'll be in a cortina. We are Ford. We know what you're thinking. We are Ford. Mercury and Lincoln. We are Ford. While we earn, we are Ford. You unlearn. We are Ford. Built for the road ahead. We are Ford. We are in your head. Autonomy. We are Ford. Credit means we got money. We are Ford. Built for tough. We are Ford. One Ford ain't enough. We are Ford. Super Deluxe and GXL. We are Ford. Gia Vignali and E as well. Join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!